Thank you, church. Is uh, George back in here? Nope, he's uh, getting dried off. So George was the guy that, that taught me the word darty, and so I'm forever indebted to him. Uh, not just because uh, he knows the Lord, and, uh, but I'm grateful that I'm, I'm learning uh, different vernacular for my friend. And so, but I, I am so grateful for what the Lord is doing in our college students and to see the Lord move uh, on the campus of TCU. And, and we're continuing to pray, and we appreciate um, all of you guys that are here. This morning, uh, we're sort of taking a, a shift. If you've been with us, uh, this is sort of abnormal what I'm doing this morning. We've been walking through the book of 1 John. Today, we are sort of bringing attention to sanctity of life. And so I'm going to walk through Psalm 139 uh, and some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And so though I'm specifically going to apply this to the context of the sanctity of life, let me say this about Psalm 139. As a student minister for over 10 years, the predominant issue that I regularly face with teenagers was an issue of identity, who they were what Christ had done and what the implications of what Christ had done for who they were and who they were to become. Before I became a pastor, I used to think that that issue was only rooted in the context of student ministry. But what I've come to find out over the years as I began to interact with senior adults, with boomers, and with everybody in between, the issue of identity in Christ is an issue that goes across the generations. It's not just an issue with students. And one of the most compelling things that can propel us to live a compelling witness for Jesus and to be on mission with him is understanding how God thinks about his people and what he has done because of his blood and then the implications of that as we go from this place on mission to seek after those that are far from him and how it gives us courage and how it propels us to do the very things that God wants us to do. Now, as we specifically talk about a little bit of identity, but, but also more specifically the issue of abortion, I'm gonna be pretty frank with you this morning. And I, I know that in a room this size, and I've been in ministry long enough to say this, I know there are some of you that are here today who have made the choice in your past to have an abortion. And I know that, that for many of you that have, that have wrestled with those decisions, this side of Christ, it's often like grief. My goal this morning as your pastor, the man that stands up here before you, my goal is not to, to bring shame. My goal is not to bring condemnation. My goal is just to speak truthfully, full of compassion, and just to give us a, a framework of, of really how we should view a, an issue that, as we walk into this next election cycle, is, is one of the predominant conversations that, that we're having. It's a landmine, it can be. And I want you to know that, that whatever you've done, or there, there is no condemnation from me in this pulpit, nor where there'll be any condemnation from anyone in this church towards that. But fundamentally, if we believe the Bible to be true, then we have to believe that life begins at conception. We have to start there. 
You can scour the scriptures and, and you can find numerous places that, that tend to argue and, and tend to lean into this idea that life begins at the moment of conception. And, and for years, over the past 30 or 40 years, really, the broader scientific community didn't really agree with that. They weren't willing to yield the ground that, that that's when life began. But, but as science has sort of caught up, in my mind, with theology and, and with philosophy, more specifically, as science has caught up to the reality that, that what we've been saying for thousands of years is still true today and has not changed, even as we've become more enlightened and even as we begin to understand I want to draw your attention to an article before we get to the text, published in an academic journal by the American College of Pediatricians. And this group overwhelmingly, though there are Christians that are a part of this group, they don't set off to be a, a Christian organization. They write from a, a primarily secular scientific view. And, and I want to read you what was published in this article back on March of 2017, where, where they say, non-believers say this, human life it starts when the sperm and the egg bind to each other in a process of fusion of their respective membranes and a single hybrid cell called a zygote or one-celled embryo is created. It's not the Bible. It's not Christians. It's not a pastor, not a theologian, though we don't need any of those things to know what our truth is because this, when it says this is the truth, this is what it is. But what you have here in this moment and you have in numerous other academically published articles that are peer reviewed, overwhelmingly the conversation scientifically of when does life begin, they all say Christian or non-Christian, it begins at conception. And so even my friends and my brothers and sisters that may stand on the other side of this view are having to change how they go about talking about it. And one of the things that you're seeing in, in our culture today is you're seeing the acknowledgement that it, it is a life in, in some circles, though you don't see this everywhere. But make no mistake about it. The scientists and the doctors and the ones writing about when life begins at non-Christian universities and institutions all yield to the ground primarily. Overwhelmingly, this is not a conversation in the community about when life begins because even they are saying now life begins at conception. And so what does that do when it comes to our choice and our decision to be a pro-life group of people I think one of the things that's helpful is to understand beyond just political talking points, which is not my goal today. My goal is just simply to show you biblically what the Bible teaches about conception and what the Bible thinks and says, what God thinks and says about when life begins and how we are to value life. Because here's the reality for us. As believers in the gospel, believing that the Bible is the word of God, we have an obligation to cherish life from the womb all the way until the tomb. The whole spectrum of being a, a pro-life organization is not entirely just about abortion or no abortion, but it is rather rooted in, in what we'll see here in just a moment, the image of God and being created in the Imago Dei. But what I wanna do in the beginning is I wanna draw your attention to verse 13 of Psalm 139. And I want you to notice in the very beginning where the psalmist writes this, he says, for you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I want you to notice in the very beginning just the first two words that are given in verse 13. Notice where the psalmist says, for you. And who he's referring to there specifically is he's referring to the idea that God, our creator, our sustainer, our, our wonderful, marvelous being that, that has been embodied through Christ and indwelt to, to walk amongst us. This God is the individual, is the person, is the being, is the sustenance. He is the one that has formed and created all of these things. And this tells us something profound about humanity and about life in general. And it's just simply this, my friend, God owns everything. There is nothing that is not his. There is nothing before him or after him. There is nothing that would rival him or stand next to him, but rather God owns all things. And in specifics, in Psalm 139, he talks about the idea that you, for God, you have formed my inward parts. Now this word formed in the Hebrew is, is a crucially important word to understand. And at one level, it has this idea of, of creating. And so you could render this verse and say, listen, God, the owner of all things, he created my inward parts. But it also has a second level of meaning in the Hebrew, and the, and the word is kanah, if you're interested in that at all. But, but the second level of this means to buy back or to redeem. And so I want you to notice what's happening in Psalm 139 that we often miss and we often blow by rather quickly. Because the idea in the text is this, God the creator who owns all things, he created, he, he created my inward being, he, he purchased my inward being, but also in addition to that, in his foreknowledge and understanding, he bought back my redemption to be his people. And so as God creates the human being in the womb that begins at conception, the idea here is that God is the one that is ultimately responsible for that, no matter how it comes about. But in addition to creating that individual, that person, creating him in his image, it also means that he has already bought and paid for the redemption of that individual later on. And so it has this double intended meaning. We see in Psalm 42, this idea work itself out where he says, remember your congregation, your gathered ones, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. But I want you to look back at verse 13 and he, he goes on, he says this, for you created, you purchased back, you, you redeemed. Notice what he says you did, you, you formed my inward parts. Now this word inward parts has a, has a literal meaning. It, it means kidneys and it, it's not really poetic to say it in that way and, and sort of would, would sort of go against uh, the poetry and the prose that, that exists within the text. You, you don't read it for you formed my kidneys. But, but the idea behind this is this, is that, listen, if you're a deer hunter and you've ever gutted an animal before, as gruesome as this sounds, when you disembowel that animal, and for the Hebrews, when they would disembowel that animal, the last organs that would come out of the gut of, of, of that animal, oftentimes it was the kidneys. And so to make the point that, that the, the deepest part of, of who we are, now we evolve this language and, and you start to see the change of this and we use the word heart often in its place. 
Because we don't say, I love you with, with all my kidneys. Uh, we don't say, we love you with our, our inwardmost being. Although if you, I guess you were trying to, uh, to win someone over and, and speak Shakespearean to them, you might say it in a poetic fashion. We, we just simply say, I love you with all my heart, right? And so the idea is, is that everything that is within me, my inmost being, God has formed me. He has formed the very essence of who I am. And what this is, this is rooted in Genesis 127, where he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It's what the Latin version of this is just simply the imago Dei that we refer to as. Because we have been created in the image of God, we, all of us, black, brown, yellow, purple, male, female, upper middle class, lower middle class, wherever we find ourselves on any spectrum, we are worthy of dignity towards one another because we have been created in the image of God in the Imago Dei. But he says, you formed my inward parts, my inward being. And he says, listen, you, you knitted me together. Years ago, uh, at our, our previous church in a villa, there were a group of ladies that, that knew how to knit. My wife didn't know how to knit. She was like, you know, I just would like to spend some time with these ladies, and we're going to do some knitting together. And so she brings some of our girls just to hang out with, with, with these ladies, and they just they start knitting. And they come home, and man, they're knitting things left and right. They're knitting scarves and they're, they're knitting uh, beanies and, and they're doing all kinds. And I'm watching going like, I, I, don't, I still don't understand what you're doing and I don't understand how this movement and this comes out to be this. But I do remember the time that I was in seventh grade and we were required to take a home economics course. And our major grade for that course was that we were required to be able to sew together, get this, public education for you, a pair of flannel underpants. And this was back in the day at this point where it was like, there was, there were like your, 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 your underwear, but then you had, if you had flannel boxers, like you were the man, like it was just a thing then. And so I was like, great challenge accepted. I've got this right. So I, I make my flannel underpants and I'm, I'm pretty proud of these. You got the elastic bands, like we're moving along. Everything's lined up in the right place. I submit them as my final work. Um, she gives them back to me. And I just remember, I don't remember anything else. Except I remember looking at the grade and the grade just said 80. 80. It's like, how do you score an 80 on a pair of boxer shorts? So I go to my teacher. I'm like, what's the problem? I'm pretty proud of these. She said, listen, uh, your, your shorts are not proportionate. You, you don't have, uh, uh, there are some things that are a little way over here that need to be over here. I, you couldn't pay me to wear these underpants. By the grace of God, I'm giving you an 80 for your, your sewing skills. It was difficult. But the idea in, in this moment, when, when the psalmist writes, you knitted together, you joined and you weaved, but you did it perfectly. You did it with great care. You, you knew what you were doing. There was intelligence that existed there as contrasted to, to seventh grade Drew and home economics, like didn't know what he was doing. But this word knit, it means something more than just weaving something together. When he says you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together, it also means to cover over as a place of protection. Now I want you to hear this and don't miss this point. When the psalmist says you formed my inward parts, 
You knitted me together. You wove me together. But, but here's what I don't want you to miss. I did all of this in the context of your mother's womb that I intended as a place of protection for you. I intended as a place of refuge and safety for you to be nurtured, for you to be taken care of, to bring you forth into this life in the midst of that wound as a place of protection. But here's the reality that we live in a culture. We have taken what God said is good and we have twisted it and, and flipped it upside down on its head to where now within the culture in which we live in, the womb is no longer a sacred thing. It is no longer a place of protection. But it has become, in many circumstances, it has become rather an obstacle for many to move forward in their life with, with convenience. I read uh, not too long ago of a, of a famous actor who was boasting about the fact that the reason why she was a multimillionaire and was famous and she was giving gratitude for the multiple abortions that she had had. And she stated that had she not put those kids to death, she would not be where she is today. And it was a, a posture of thankfulness. Openly and, and brazenly, the, the womb that was given for protection had, be, had become a death sentence for many. He goes on in verse 14 and he says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I told you earlier about identity and I wanna just say this to you that, that is uh, not specifically about abortion but, uh, or, or pro-life movement, but just speaking to the heart of people in Christ. When he says, I praise you, I thank God, my creator, my sustainer, when he says fearfully, what that means is, is that you have, he has caused astonishment and awe because of who you are. So he creates you, he brings you into existence. And this idea of, of fearfully made, it, it says this to you this morning about your identity is that God, as wonderful as he is, when he creates, he is astonished at his creation. And I think for many of you here today that are struggling with just identity and who am I and what worth do I have and what value do I have, if the only thing that you hear me say this morning is I want you to know without a doubt before you leave this place that God is astonished and in awe of you because you have been created in his very image in the Imago Dei and he has given you worth. He has given you value and he has given you dignity and he wants you to hear that today. No matter how beat up you are or how misled you are or how, how whatever down path you've gone down this world, God wants you to know that he is astonished and all of you because he has made you in his image. When he says that you are wonderfully made, it means to be distinct and to be set apart. There is nobody else like you. There's no one else that, that has your view on life. There's no one else that has your DNA or your fingerprints or, or has your exact personality or your exact experiences. He is saying, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully, astonishingly made. I am distinctly made. I have been set apart by you. Wonderful, God, are your works. Friends, some of you just need to just rest in that truth this morning. That God cares for you, that he, that he knows you, that he's astonished by you, that he wants to be in relationship with you, that he, that he loves you deeply. 
No matter how far you may feel you are on the spectrum of God, that is what God's word would say to us this morning. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This idea of frame, he's just talking about when you were fashioned together and all that stuff was going on and he made you who you were. To tell you how amazing this is and and in light of Sanctity of Life Sunday, At conception, life begins, but let me give you a little bit of perspective on this. At 18 days after conception, the baby has a heartbeat that we can identify. We can see it, we can watch it. Organs are are being fashioned after six weeks after conception. We can measure the waves in, in a baby's brain that they are able to cognitively begin to process and to think in their own way at a level of, of a young child, but it's there. Eight weeks after conception, the stomach and the liver, the inward parts, the kidneys, all of these are functioning. The fingerprints are are formed. They're they're there. They are present. At nine weeks, the child can feel pain. We can push the mom's stomach. We can prick it with a pin, and we will see and watch on video now the baby recoil because he feels those things and she feels those things. It's a human being. Life is is present. Life is there. When he says in verse 15 towards the end, he says, I was being made in in secret. What he means by that is just this, this idea that the womb was this place to nurture and to protect the child. It's a covering and it's a shelter and it's a hiding place. I'm reminded of Psalm 91 where he says, he who dwells in the shelter, the same word there of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. He says, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth is just a poetic expression that's rendered there. He just means to skillfully weave and to choose and to mix the colors together to produce something beautiful. So um, my family and I are still in a little bit of transition. We, we bought a house, we closed on a house this Friday. And, and so Haley and I are in this process right now, uh, or really Haley's in the process and I'm just sort of following along um, of like picking out colors and like looking at the house going, we should do this and we should do this. And, and so she's pulling together all these details and we've got paint swatches flying around our house left and right. Well, I wonder what this color white would look like with the, with the windows down, with the windows windows up. How would this flow with the gray? And and what's it going to look like here? And I'm like, I I don't care about any of that stuff. Like I need a toilet and a shower and a place to sleep and I'm good. But all these details are are being put together. What do you think, darling? Uh, Man, whatever, whatever you like, let's do it. Love it. Love it. Proud of it. Let's do it. Fashion it. Weave it together Make it happen. Intricately woven. Notice what he says in verse 16. And we'll end here. He says, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. So when all these things were coming about, notice what he says. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none I find that maybe the most remarkable verse in the entire chapter of Psalm 139. The idea that before I came into this world and breathed my first breath, 
that God's will for my life, that it was formed, that it was created, that there was purpose for me to to know God and to follow him, that there was a plan, that there were good things in store, that I want to believe that. There may be hard things and tough things in store, but the reality is, is that according to this scripture, God sees my unformed substance. And in in his book, every one of my works have been pre-planned and ordained by him to do good things, to follow him and to pursue him. What an incredible promise. To know that, that I know the answer to God's will and it's simply to just to conform my life to the person of Christ and be like Jesus, whatever may come. And when we engage or when we become lackadaisical about, about this idea that, that the child in the womb is, is not a child, but, but rather just a group of cells or, 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 or we refer to it as a fetus or, or we see common vanity, it's an it or, or that thing. And we begin to, to depersonify the baby, the life that exists in there. We begin to minimize the very work that God has planned out in verse 16, the good things every work, the days that were formed for me. Now, as I've engaged in this and looked, I want to I want to sort of provide a theological framework for us to wrestle with. I want you to know that, that life begins at conception, but I, I also want to gently just sort of guide us down a path as we begin to enter into a political season. I mean, maybe unlike we've, we've never seen coming up this summer. Like you're watching with me and you're like, oh man, I keep thinking, thank goodness I live in Texas, right? The, 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 the greatest country in the world, okay? Amen. Amen to that, right? Not perfect, but like pretty close. But we're entering to this season and the issue of, of pro-life, pro-choice, it is a predominant thing. And, and my goal is not to argue with you from an apologetic standpoint. My goal is just simply to equip a little bit and maybe move some of you that might find yourself a little bit on the pro-choice side. I, I just wanna to reason with you a little bit or to equip the church to be able to answer some questions. And so one of the predominant things that I see from time to time is the statement, my body, my right. And I want to say to you wholeheartedly, I, I am all for choice. 100% I am for choice. So long as your choice doesn't cancel out the choice of the person who cannot make a choice for themselves. To speak for those that cannot speak. If life begins at conception, if life begins at conception, if that is true, then we either need to be honest with ourselves that, that, that if we're on this camp and on this side of pro-choice, what we are doing is, is willfully, ethically, morally, we're acknowledging the fact that we are taking the life of a human being, a real human being. And we are for choice and we want to give people choices. We are for that. But our other obligation is to make sure that, did you know this, that 50%, just about half of, of the, the abortions that take place, they, they, are, they are the murder and the taking of the life of another female. So, so the question then comes or the conundrum that exists there in the moment of that, well, my body, my choice, I get that, but what about the choice of the other female that exists within the womb at that moment? What about their choice? 
And why does one choice become superior to the other? It should give us at least a a place of, of pause. The second thing that I hear all the time is that, listen, if we do this, women are going to die of unsafe abortions if we make it illegal. It's legal and lawful now. If we, if we make it illegal or we prohibit the access of it, a lot of women are gonna get hurt in the process. And I, I just want you to, to, to follow with me on this logic. If we make that illegal, and let's, let's, let's say that, for instance, the issue is not a, a political hot button like abortion, but let's say this, let's say that, that rape would be legal at this point. Would you apply the same logic Well, let's not outlaw it because more people are going to get hurt. In fact, let's legalize it or let's make sex trafficking as an instance. Let's legalize that so less people get hurt. The logic doesn't follow. The logic doesn't match up with with both of those. And, And so neither should that be our primary reason. What about compassion for women? Whose, whose lives will be ruined by, by unwanted pregnancy. I, I don't know, I hear this often, but, and I don't really know the answer to that with, with the exception to, to just simply say, it, it, it begs the question, well, well, what is the unborn thing and person and being in, in, your, in your womb? It's not a group of cells. It's, it's not just some random happenstance. It is a, it is a person that exists and is there. Friend, I want to tell you, these are culturally, these are landmines. And it it grieves me as a pastor to know that these are more political issues than than they are biblical. I wish it was more of of a biblical conversation rather than a political conversation. But I know the lines have been drawn and there are deep divides within our culture and with our society. But I think as I think down the road about who our church is and who we wanna be, we wanna seek after those that are far from God. We don't wanna be the the anti-abortion church, though we're not for abortions. We we wanna be the pro-life church that is for every aspect of life, from the time a child is brought into this world all the way to the very end. That's who we wanna be. And as a church, we need to make sure that as passionate as we are about these things, that we are providing opportunities for those that that need the additional care, that need the additional help, to push them in a direction where they can be cared for and nurtured and treated with, with dignity and to guide them down a process where hopefully, like Shelley said, they they choose life in that moment. So that means we've got a long ways to go in the midst of this. But I wholeheartedly believe this. If you disagree with me, I love you as a brother or sister, but I, till the day I die, I, I will believe this. Emphatically, the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. That is a life. I can't get around that. Emphatically, the scientific community overwhelmingly states that it is a life. And we at least need to have an honest conversation about what we're doing when we talk about this. And if you find yourself on the opposite end of me, I I love you and I respect that. You are still welcome here. I want you to be here. I wanna know you. I wanna serve you. I wanna show compassion towards you. We'd love to talk with you about it. But, But church, we... 
This is one of those moments where we can talk about it and we can say, yes, amen. But we've got to be involved on the other end. We have three directors that, that direct different pro-life organizations in Dallas DFW. Shelly being one of them, and they've come out of Travis. They are Travis in, in so many ways. And um, we have others that we're gonna talk about and share uh, over the coming months. We want you to know and, and to be able to support. And here's how I wanna end today. Um, first of all, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would love to talk with you about what a relationship with Jesus means. I want you to know this God who has fearfully and wonderfully made you. I want you to know him. But the second response is for the church. And it's really just a question rhetorically. How, how can we, how can you go and, and to be a Christian that embodies and encompasses all of life and values all of it, the whole spectrum? Some of you, I think it's, man, I'd love to see you sign up and go volunteer with Shelly at the Fort Worth Pregnancy Center. Some of you, it may just be, I need, to, I need to write a check to help. Funding's always an issue. There's always things that, that we can add to and to grow from. And for some of us, it's just praying for gospel conversations with our friends that may be on the other side of the aisle and showing compassion and love and mercy and the grace of Jesus to them. So I'm gonna invite you to stand at this time. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. Joe and then we're gonna sing and lead us out of here. Pray with me, Father, we pray that your spirit would move amongst us. We pray no one here would feel condemned. We pray that we would sense your mercy and grace. And so we pray now you would inhabit our praises as we respond in truth, full of your compassion, ready to go and tell those that are far from you that you are still saving and redeeming your people. Help us be faithful this week, we ask. Christ's name. Amen.